It still says starting. Okay, there it goes. Yeah. All right, everybody. Welcome to uh, the Dhamma podcast, uh, <laughs> where we discuss all things Dhamma. Okay. Um, your wife left you, took your kids. There's Dhamma for that. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. Every Wednesday, we come on the Skype call. Anyone's welcome to join. And we can come and uh, speak the Dhamma and essentially just be friends and hang out. Um, that's what the Sangha is for. So, um, Veda asked, um, he brought up a topic when we we're thinking up a topic to, uh, to, to discuss about uh, organic approach to uh, the Dhamma. So a little bit more um, fluid versus a map approach or mapping out the path. Is that correct? Yes. What you're getting at? Okay. So um, yeah, so maps um, are kind of controversial thing um, in uh, uh, spiritual circles and uh, meditation and awakening but uh you know i don't see them as essentially good or bad um for those who are uh unfamiliar with maps probably the main one that comes to mind in this context is the the theravada um four path model am i correct or maybe the um the vipassana the vipassana map of uh yeah the, the Duke, 16 steps or whatever the so the yeah. um the with all the dark night stuff the, and so yeah. on the, all the dark the three characteristics and then uh arising and passing away and then um i, I have like a vague memory of all the grief fear misery disgust reobservation equanimity and then it goes into where we start cessation with the, fruition with the yeah with the jhana so so uh um here's what i think about the maps um i like the maps um for the very specific reason that essentially what the maps are for is to tell you that everything's fine okay <laughs> all <laughs> everything is going according to plan so, so if you're experiencing some um, difficult territory and uh, it's important not to just be in some kind of denial that there is no difficult territory to meditation and awakening when, yes, there is, like there can be difficult um, experiences and things that come up and, uh, uh, it's important to understand that these things can happen, but instead of um, manufacturing these difficult experiences or expecting them, um, it's more important how we, <clears throat> when they arise. So the problem with the map is that you may be fabricating something that isn't there based off your idea of what should be there because you have learned about the map. So you're going to be idealizing and uh, deluding yourself into thinking, oh, I'm this part, or I'm stuck in fear, or I'm stuck in disgust, when really that's just a hindrance that you should be 
throwing out. Um, so it depends, you know, it depends on. You can how... do this also uh, after, after you think you had a fruition or whatever, something, taking a map out, looking, what is it? And then totally delude yourself about uh, where you are stage wise. Yes, that's another good point is that um, in terms <clears> of <throat> it's, uh, it's very easy to convince yourself that you've attained the path when you haven't. Um, so that is uh, not entirely, I mean, some people will say that that's really dangerous and like really bad, but I don't think it's that bad. Um, because I think it's good to start to develop uh, confidence and a self um, uh, self assurance, you know. Um, yeah, it's the mentality. So it's the attitude. So you you should approach meditation as if you're already enlightened. Um, uh, that's going to lead to much better results. So um, I. When I started the path, I was completely convinced that I have already realized the truth and everything. Um, obviously, I was still suffering, but I had that mentality, and I'm going to it's, it's going to lead to confirmation bias of wholesome experiences. So, if I have the mentality that I am enlightened, I'm I'm only going to um, feed or support enlightenment types of experiences right i'm going to be like oh i'm just saying those hindrances like what whatever some i get mad i get pissed about something whatever i'm enlightened like forget about <laughs> whatever it whatever happens yeah so this can be to rationalize um dukkha but it can also be used to throw it out like like uh as a mentality so like i'm above it right so this is so it, in the context of like um, good Sama Sankapa or right attitude, it's good. Um, but in the context of um, this weird kind of like um, competition with others and sort of denial of your own dukkha, it's not good because um, path attainments aren't about clout. Whereas like people, Westerners will think, will like discover these like, um, these little, everything is built on accomplishing something in the West. So they'll see like, oh, there's these four trophies, like, or these four like status symbols. Now I can get clout on the internet or whatever. If I just start telling people I'm this and, uh, most of the time they're not fooling anybody. Like it's really obvious to tell. Someone is not awake, awakened, you know, you can tell by how they talk and you can tell, you can tell by how they react to people and you can tell, like, it's going to be the writings on the wall, like it's going to be given away one way or another. So it's not helping you or anyone else to um, play that kind of like mental game. But uh, it can be healthy to have an attitude of enlightenment though i i'd say that is good because you're going to <clears throat> the idea that 
these things are not possible. Like it's going to be only a monk can achieve it or like only decades of retreats and decades of this. If you have that attitude that it's not possible, you're not going to enter jhana and you're not going to have deeper insights. Because positive, you, positive mm, or negative, just feeding into right attitude like this. The, 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 it's the attitude that I can do this. Yeah. yeah. So no. you're not, if you, if you're convinced that like, um, the jhana is unattainable, you're not going to enter jhana. That's true. Yeah. But it's a hindrance in itself. Yeah. Obst obstructing yourself. Really what it is, is doubt. Yeah. Doubt. Yeah. Right. So going back to um, the map um, and the really popular one of all the Dukkha Nyanas, so all the stages of, uh, of Dukkha, they may arise as a product of meditation. Um, whereas Dhammarada would say, um, you know, we're, like skip all that and start with uh, <laughs> gladdening the mind. And that's good. And I can appreciate both perspectives because I've, I've experienced both. So I've experienced, but the problem with the, it, it's not that these dukkha jnanas don't happen when you're gladdening the mind. It's that you may cycle through them faster. Yeah. Yeah. That's another so, yeah, yeah, important point is just how quickly, you know, these things can potentially cycle through. It doesn't have to be over like a long period of time. It can be right. within a minute, maybe less than that, right? How quickly this can kind of shift, you know? I mean, that's really also just understanding like impermanence and all that stuff as well. But yeah, that can be kind of helpful because it's like, oh man, I've been in a dark night for like three months or something. And it's like, well, if you look a little closer, it might be shifting a lot quicker you know, than that even. But I mean, I suppose that's like understanding things on like the micro level and then the macro level as well in terms of time frames. But yeah, that can be kind of helpful. Yeah, yeah comparing comparing the, the let's say, anorganic approaches uh, to just cutting Pachicha Samupada, it's exactly like the point of contact. Mm -hmm. It's it's like, uh, completely unraveling a completely completely different world of dhamma mm -hmm. i mean for me it's like really like you 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 just cut the crap <laughs> uh, and can exactly do what you what you need to do instead of mapping everything looking where you are polluting the mind with all this stuff yes and not really acting not really doing <laughs> something or not practicing correctly Mm -hmm. uh, so correct practice um uh, yeah you may cycle through these things very quickly but uh, an important uh an important point is that um the dukanyanas and all of those stages and all the way to equanimity is is kind of like an organic evolution so these stages are like a natural it's kind of like the stages of grief that you go through after someone dies or something it's like a natural thing that ha that like evolves and then goes into something, um, goes into the relief and goes into like all that kind of stuff. So if you're thinking like, hmm, what stage am I in? <laughs> you're probably just not even close to like the the process at all of the the 
the the process taking place and unfolding you're probably not even close to it i think you're probably just in ordinary dukkha <laughs> so like that so like correct practice but but the maps are good in the sense that um you shouldn't be caught off guard by um difficult experiences and you should realize that these are things that can happen but you can handle them and there is a natural progression and then there is an evolution and everything is still going according to plan um but like it doesn't mean stop uh seeing this moment directly um and doesn't mean project into the future of waiting for the next stage to happen because then they're not going like then the evolution isn't even taking place. You're just an ordinary, mundane, craving and aversion, and yeah. incorrectly. Yeah, so it is helpful again just to remember the map is not the territory, and also sometimes right. just to throw it. Yeah, just throw it out completely, and just yeah, pay attention to what's happening. You know. <laughs> yeah. Another. Um, it's interesting. Another important point that. Uh, I hear um, Don Morado often talk about is that people think they're going to go from like dukkha or like deep in dukkha to neutral. And then... That's the way it works. You have to go all the way to the heights. <laughs> to go, you have to go from to the deepest, darkest place, and you have, to, you go have to... to be. You have to be bipolar. You have to be bipolar. Yeah, yeah. So there is a bipolar. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Honestly, that's another thing. Like, uh, oftentimes, people going through uh, an awakening process may be diagnosed with bipolar disorder because of its dramatic swings. Mm-hmm. So you go from the depths of hell all the way through the heights of ecstasy, so that you can eventually find an equilibrium in in a. Uh, and uh, stabilize out, and now you, you're more in control, and you can go to the heights, and you yeah. can pick yourself out of the depths. But the the momentum of being down in down in the dumps isn't going to just go to neutral. You have to get the thing. You have to get. It's like getting a rocket off in the space. It takes so much fuel. So you need you need that. Other, like you need that transcendent joy. You need that. You need that. Um, really talking yourself into a really good state, an elated state, actually. So you need to learn how to, or like, you, you can, <laughs> you can learn how to get yourself into this good of a feeling, and and that's not the end all be all. That's part of the process. Yeah. That's just one step. And then once you um, develop the skills of PT and Sukha and develop the skills of jhana, then you can really start to deconstruct things and develop insights into dependent origination. Um, it's the best foundation. So uh, The best when you de- of all them. Yeah, so when, when you develop insight into dependent origination, then that's kind of like... A, um so at first you're playing the video game and you're trying to win the game and you're getting good with the rules of the game and you're winning the game that's like ordinary jhana practice and throwing changing the feelings and like 
playing within the confines of the game. And then once you beat the game, uh, now you have access to New Game Plus, where you have all your same equipment from the first round. So you're you're fully equipped to to um, handle things in a much more precise and uh, um, almost broken broken way so like you broke the system so it's like like you can like really pl play around with um the building blocks of the game and you have access to the rules and you have access to um the actual structure of the video game and you can just write in a piece of code and change it so you get infinite ammo or infinite yeah. whatever your health bar doesn't come that's the insight yeah into so insight into dependent <laughs> origination it's like instead of trying to beat the game with the rules of the game, you can you can tinker with the rules themselves. So um, you see the, the you see how things yeah. connect and how things function in conjunction with each other to create this human experience that we're experiencing. And with the removal of this aspect of the experience comes the removal of another aspect of the experience. That's the pretty straightforward way of um, understanding dependent origination is that um, everything, um, most importantly, dukkha, is a product of its causes and conditions. And with the cessation of those causes and conditions comes the cessation of the effect. So um, um, on this assembly line of dependent origination, if you stay and the raw data of your experience without constructing a self out of it, without constructing a nama rupa, so without naming things <clears throat> and without form, um, clinging can, cling, it's impossible for clinging to arise. <laughs> so there can be no dukkha if you can literally stay in the raw data of your experience and stop the process from going from raw data to naming and labeling to to uh, to creating a sense of self to clinging to clinging. So um, in a recent talk, uh, Damarado uses an analogy with me of an apple falling from a tree. So when that apple falls from a tree, you see it as an apple. And you realize that it's an apple, and then you say, "I want that apple." But if if it's just an apple falling from a tree, and it's just that, and you don't even know it's an apple, and it's just the information information of an event, <clears throat> and you don't even get to the step of saying, "Oh, that's an apple. Now I want that apple." There's no craving. So this is kind of what. It's almost funny. It's funny, and kind of what um, this is what uh, equanimity is. So in that stage of the dukkhanas, and all the way to equanimity is like, okay, now things are just happening, and uh, you you don't mind one way or another, or you're not creating a, you're not making a big deal out of anything. Everything is just happening, and there's total total indifference. So even my, the mind objects, even the thoughts, all everything that's going on, there's total indifference to 
all of that stuff, it is just seen as it's all kind of equalized. So all of the information of your experience, all of the six sense spaces in the mind um, is equalized to being equally just information. And one is not more desirable than another. So you're not liking one aspect of your experience over another. And so equanimity is achieved through that. And through equanimity comes clear seeing. There you go. Through this experience of total indifference and equanimity, we can see the functioning and even the process of dependent origination. So once you're um, zoomed out, so to speak enough to see the process of dependent origination, you can develop indifference even through the process of self arising and clinging arising. So it's kind of a metacognition. You can see these events take place as an impersonal event. So even the whole delineation <laughs> of dependent origination becomes an impersonal event. Um, but it really requires getting to these wholesome states and higher levels of insights to be able to see that. So you cannot understand that as a philosophy. You can't just think, oh, oh, it's all impersonal and my dukkha is impersonal and just say that and try to bypass it. No, you have to come out of dukkha and then catch it as it happens. Wisdom at the point of contact and then see for yourself it's impersonal. So there's a big difference there. It's not just a philosophy of it. It's not a philosophy of no self of thinking, oh, none of it is me. Yeah. No, you see it's not you because you see the very building blocks as it happens. Yes, Rob. Good questions. Hi, oh, yeah, thanks, Scott. I've yeah. heard it said that before the um, equanimity jnana, we have to like do a lot of vipassana practice so that the mind will continue to like vipassanalyze on its own while we're in the equanimity jnana. Um, how important do you think that is, and like how would you go about that? Um, just to be clear about these maps and like different tradition is I'm no way an expert. I've never been a Vipassana practitioner. Uh, I just kind of glossed over these maps um, and I like read them and I understood them. And I've realized looking back on my experience. Oh, yeah, I've experienced all those stages and all that kind of naturally happened. Um, but uh, before I got to um, before I got to Damarado's practice of um, gladdening the mind and uh, throwing out unwholesome thoughts and thinking wholesome thoughts, the only form of meditation I did was do nothing meditation, and that's it. I didn't do anything. So, but then, so it's like whatever meditation you're doing, like I can see the parallels, and I can see, oh, um, I can see the maps in the in the same process. So. Um, I, I'm not going to be able to tell you how to do Vipassana because I'm not a Vipassana practitioner. I can tell you what investigation is in the way that the Buddha taught it of the experience of jhana leading to the insights and the clear seeing. But I don't start there. I start, 
I start, I, I'm a firm <laughs> practitioner of Domorado school and I start where Domorado starts because that's how it works for me. So that's how I'm going to teach it from now on. Does that make sense? I don't teach other people's methods. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm just, we're like, we're talking about the maps. Like I'm not, I'm not a map expert, you know, if you want to learn more about maps, you should probably talk to Dan. Um, but I'm just talking and relating it to my understanding of things. And uh, uh, in this context, and, and uh, this is how I see it, the map. And this is the pros and cons I see about it. So it, it's kind of an open dialogue, you know, I don't have like, um, you know, I, I think I'm I'm pretty pragmatic in the sense that whatever works works. So for a lot of people, Vipassana doesn't work, but for people that that approach works, that's the best path for them. Does that make sense? But yeah. uh, you um, can you can apply the gladdening step into everything. I mean, even if you do like uh, open awareness or whatever. I mean, if hindrances come up, you just deal with it that way and you can uh, surely do uh, Vipassana uh, uh, despite that or, or with that. It's more an incorporation thing because uh, if I think about like um, Vipassana for me is mostly, especially because we are talking about the maps like Daniel Ingram, Frank Yang and people like that who are really like, I mean, Daniel Ungrim says things like, I am vipassionalizing, I, I vipassionalize the world yeah. and everything. And right. it's like, it's like ripping everything apart. I mean, he talks about <laughs> it like a, like, oh, yeah. like a maniac, yeah. like with, with Edward Scissor hands, <laughs> like, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so if you, if you like incline to that, and if, if this doesn't make you go completely crazy i would go crazy <laughs> yeah so this type of practice um does lead to dark nights of the soul but like um it's kind of the same like i'd say it's the same kind of vein as like psychedelics so if you can handle if you're the type of person that can handle these types of experiences they can lead to profound insights so a major part of my practice is, is just doing a bunch of uh, doing a bunch of psychedelics and just sitting through whatever it is that I brought up and just going through and learning how to navigate the territory. So the ayahuasca approach. The, I never did ayahuasca, but the in terms of gliding the mind and being in a wholesome state, the stakes are much higher once you're tripping. So it ups the ante of the practice. So, wow, I really have to pay attention to the kind of thoughts I'm letting in and the kind of uh, uh, thought trains I'm going down because, wow, things can get really bad really quick or they can get really freaking good really quick. And when, when I see how good they can really get, I see, wow, this is something that I can intentionally do. And that, and that same skill um, applies all the time. So not just when I'm tripping. So, but again, these types of things can lead to some very traumatic experience that a lot of people aren't ready to deal with and they can't really handle. So it's kind of like similar in that sense of just 
strength of personalizing stuff um, or taking some psychedelics. Yeah, if you're if you can uh, remain equanimous, whatever comes up, and just keep going, then uh, more power to you. But I say there's um, easier ways um, to start with guiding the mind and start with coming into a wholesome state intentionally, and then you can see, and then you can clearly see what's going on. So it's not that um, Domorado never talks about Vipassana or like Vipassana type methods. It's that he says it in a different way. So when he says like, oh, look at what your shirt feels like against your skin right now. Or like, what does it really feel like to breathe right now in this moment? Or what does your face feel like in this moment? Like, what does this sensations feel like right now? Like, like be be here in this room. Like, like what's going on in the room? Are there any alligators? All of that is Vipassana. So all of that is looking. That's all uh, noble. <laughs> so really what Vipassana really is, is looking and paying attention and seeing things um, for what they are. And that's the full fruition of it is knowledge and visions of things that the way that they really are. So enlightenment is nothing other than seeing um, things as they are. <laughs> and that might sound simplistic or vague, but that's true. And that might not seem very like um, desirable. That's the idea is that where <laughs> there's no desire. <laughs> You're saying thing as they I are. Mean maybe maybe someone really has the intellectual capacity or the cognitive uh, capacity uh, uh, to to really uh, yeah motorize their way into into this but if you don't get the real feedback of the experience you can be passionalized as much as you want it's always an experience from the self and you you don't deconstruct the self uh, you have no you have no no anchor real real perspective you're always uh, operating from from a self that is unaware of of those constructs if this makes sense yes <clears throat> that's any way that you're going to start any meditation practice is as a self doing meditation so um there's no way other around it if you're trying to do a meditation to like i don't know either improve your situation or like <laughs> become happier or like enlightenment or whatever your goal is that's the self doing that and uh it's important not to rationalize that it's not a self <laughs> because it is a self do doing that and so What should the first thing that that self should do? The self should um, uh, wake up out of uh, suffering. Is that should be the main goal? So you you should the self should intentionally go into a wholesome state. Intentionally go from dukkha to sukha. Um, no self insight is after already waking up out of suffering. <laughs> It's not no self inside first and then you wake up because who's what self is going to realize no self. It's not going to happen. So you're, there's no self to realize no self. 
there are people there are people who are so incredibly incredibly uh, advanced in their in their you would say under ordinary circumstances like the ordinary theravada speech or whatever you have like those those uh, different uh, realizers like solitary realizer and so on and so on and so on and this this is what what strikes me so much about the approach uh, the supramundane dhamma is giving i mean it's like it's 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 it doesn't matter what you do because you are going to develop exactly as as this under underlying program is just working for ev for everyone uh, however this may manifest this is this this is so this is so incredible this struck me again and again it's like a, it's like you have your own you have your you you're developing your own uh, like serotonin uh, machine and you can just lay in, in 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 that and then everything else develops completely organically this is so that's amazing so, so i like how uh, you're talking about that is proving exactly my point it's like you're saying that with a smile on your face and so like uh you're already waking it up out of um, dukkha and already experiencing sukha and then once you ah oh, like everything's fine you found that that safety there's that you found that sukha there's that pt that arises out of it or the or the 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 rapturous joy that comes from ah oh, everything really is fine and it all is just happening on its own and there's nothing to worry about but that's a product of uh coming out of um unwholesome state of mind if you're in an unwholesome state of mind and you're craving averting, um, there always is going to be a self there because the self is the one that suffers. And uh, trying to um, mental proliferate your way out of selfhood doesn't work. <laughs> you have to gladden the mind and you have to come out of uh, dukkha. And then you could see what these guys are talking about what what it means uh what these enlightenment experiences are getting at and what this is why so many people experience this whole dark night stuff because they are they, they just don't have the skill to really to really calm down everything mm -hmm. so let's say you can elevate your mind you know to that point where you have perspective or maybe it took all that dark night stuff to be become fed up with it and finally have a re-observation. This is this is the most uh, common. This is the most common uh, uh, wording for this exact point in all the in all the like uh, Shins and Young uh, podcasts and whatever. They always come to this point where finally you probably uh, uh, went so fed up with everything that you just let go <laughs> but do you have to practice like 10 years of of extremely excruciating giving yourself pain all the time no. to, for realizing <laughs> okay i don't have to do this I don't have to do no no but yeah. for those who are 
connected to suffering and uh, um, for whatever reason uh, don't do, just go straight to right effort and they need they, they still want to cling and they still want to go down that rabbit hole well um, I say to them okay go down that rabbit hole see what now you can really see what how much dukkha really there can happen and then so you come back here and say oh I actually want to um, solve this dukkha because of how bad it really is and then so you see you can see the consequences um, instead of uh, it being kind of like an innocent thing like like uh, oh this this thought is it's creating subtle dukkha but you don't there's a problem um, and keep, keep doing it until it becomes um, unbearable <laughs> and then when it becomes unbearable now you are going to take the right effort of letting go so letting go is still a little bit of effort <laughs> like releasing tranquilizing bodily formations okay that is a relaxation and that is a going into a more effortless state so it may seem um from the outside looking in like it's uh not however oh, involved you're not doing anything no what we're really doing it's the least amount of effort to get the job done so you're intentionally letting go you're intentionally releasing tensions you're intentionally taking a deep breath and going ah Everything's fine. Hey, there's no dukkha. There's no dukkha here. There's no danger here. There's nothing to worry about. Now, that's a skill. Go ahead, Robert. Thanks for that, guys. Um, so here's a interesting question. Do you think that it's okay to gladden our minds with the excitement of um of the dhamma like being ex like being excited for the jhana that the that's to come like like telling myself yep. i know that if i keep doing this practice in the next 20 30 minutes i'll be in a, i'll be in a jhana and i'll be feeling really really good and then like using that excitement for the jhana that's to come even though it's like technically craving do you think that's still a, like an okay way uh, to do it yes but you don't mean excitement Excitement's not the right word. Um, the correct word for what you're trying to say, Robert, is enthusiasm. So enthusiasm for the Dhamma is completely wholesome, and there's no craving in that. So the enthusiasm that this stuff is really possible and that you can actually do this. That's not excitement. Excitement is a projection into the future of like, oh shit, something's going to happen later. And it's kind of a restlessness. Enthusiasm is the joy of, wow, the discovery of the Dhamma. And this is the Dhamma. And this is the uh, knowledge and vision of what is and isn't the path. So the enthusiasm of seeing um, this is the way out of suffering. That's insight into... Um, the one of the four noble truths 
There's a cause to the suffering and there's a way out. Go ahead, Eric. I think there might be a, a right case for uh, to use excitement because um, in the case of Sama Sankapa, um, it's not only right attitude, but Damarado also describes it as right leaning. And that's like predicting a little bit into the future, like uh, have a second into the future because I know that when I take this next breath, it's going to be refreshing. And that's the confidence. Um, so how about this breath is refreshing. Yeah, but the breath, I know that also the next the one will be refreshing. refreshing. So this, the next breath is going to be refreshing. That's craving. So that's a restlessness born out of not in, being satisfied with the breath that you're taking right now. But, but so Scott, like, what if, what if that uh, craving and excitement for the next breath, what if that helps us get through this breath and gladdens our mind, like makes us happier because we're looking forward to, you know, the jhana or the next breath or whatever. Yeah, you're going to be getting through <laughs> your current experience uh, indefinitely. Oh, I'm going to be coping with this. Oh, maybe next breath would be better. Or maybe the jhana is going to come tomorrow. And maybe I'll be finally happier. Maybe the path attainment is going to come. That's a coping mechanism. Yeah. So that's that, let me finish. That yeah. leads nowhere. It's fruitless. Um, that's actually dissatisfaction. So what how do you how do you end that that cycle? Is you start enjoying the breath that's happening right now <laughs> and you become satisfied with the breath. That's the effort that we're doing is coming into satisfaction of enjoying what's happening right now and letting go of the idea of something that isn't happening right now and not seeing things the way that they, they really are. Right, so instead of saying I'm happy because or thinking I'm happy because I'm gonna have a really nice breath in 10 minutes, I've got to be focused on no, this breath right now is just lovely this is a really nice breath but sometimes yeah. that's a bit harder to do because sometimes this breath doesn't feel lovely sometimes this breath feels a bit you know not up to standard so then that's where the practice comes in of taking a more enjoyable breath so intentionally okay that breath wasn't very good this this breath that i'm experiencing right now is now like and enjoying the breath as it happens in this moment. So immediately what I just did is I forgot about any shallow breath that just happened and I forgot about thinking of a next breath that will be good. And I created an enjoyable breath and enjoyed it as it was happening. That's what we do in Anapanasati. All right, bye Veda. See you Veda, thank you. So that's Anapadasati is taking a more enjoyable breath in this moment. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I also find that in the beginning stages of the practice, it's like you are going to think of the future in one way or another. And when you already got the confidence built in of enjoying present breaths, then the idea of the future which before was kind of uh, overwhelming or bleak or whatever, 
it's uh, the automatic reaction you be begin to get is like more pleasant, more wholesome. And yeah. that that can can be a support of the practice, not a coping mechanism, but an a complementary gift, let's say, yeah, but the difference, to a good practice. The difference there, Eric, is thinking of the future is a current experience that you're enjoying. Mm -hmm. So yeah. what does it mean? Um, yeah, you're thinking of future as a concept, but I was meaning more future as a verbal experience, you know, because language, uh, it's not as much to describe it, describe what's really happening as to communicate it. And you communicate it to other people or, or to yourself. So when you're talking about the future, even to yourself, it's not in the present moment. It's kind of you're weaving your own story that has its its own uh, projections. And that um, I was just um, thinking that the the idea of the future is can be wholesome when it's based on the confidence in the present moment. That's what I said. So the I yeah. The idea of the future is a present experience. Yeah. That's to be with it. That that you can enjoy. So the problem comes when the idea of the future creates um, dissatisfaction with the current experience. Because even that there is the future. Um, itself is a concept in the sense that this concept of the future is happening now. But uh, doesn't exist in time. So you're never going to get to the future except by a current... I know this is a cliche, but it's tr the truth. So even the concept of the future is a current experience that you can enjoy and be satisfied with. And yes, it doesn't mean that we stop thinking about the future at all. The future can be incredibly wholesome. Every morning I wake up like, oh, I get to go drink some coffee. And I, <laughs> I get happy that I get to go downstairs and I look forward to it every morning having a cup of coffee. Um, but I'm satisfied with the idea that's currently happening. Yeah, yeah. I, I was listening to a recent talk too, where they were talking about um, pity, and uh, that kind of linking too with like the anticipation, I suppose, is another word you could put for that. But yeah, like actually enjoying that sort of process of it's, it, like in itself as it's happening, as it's occurring. So actually enjoying the anticipation without necessarily feeling in lack, like I need to get you know this thing, but I mean, maybe there is something to, uh, you know, confidence in that and kind of having that well established and just enjoying that. But, you know, again, if it's kind of taking you away from enjoying this breath, this moment, this experience, because we need to get into jhana 20 minutes from now rather than just being like, hey, this is good enough. Let's just enjoy this. <laughs> you know, that's really it. Like <laughs> set the timer, set the timer. Yeah. Come on. 20 minutes. 
<laughs> I've got a schedule to keep everybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but just enjoying, like, or even if you want to use excitement, I, I've thought of excitement and all that stuff in the past, but just more as an impersonal thing, which arises and ceases. Like, every, you know, it's just like, okay, cool. That's another fun little thing. But when it, it, the problem again just comes back to, uh, you know, the craving and being able to toss that out and can we just enjoy what's going on? here and now and not so much uh, conceptualized well, experience well in measurement too yeah. in comparison That's yeah comparison right there it's about yeah, comparing com saying oh the moment i'm gonna have is somehow better than the one i'm having now and then you're craving again yeah it's that, it's that measurement that's what gets people this idea of standards this idea yeah. of you know rather than taking each one as it comes and enjoying <laughs> yeah. that it's like, oh, this next one will be so much yeah. better. I can't wait. Well, if you can't wait, then you're not enjoying something. Like, yeah, you can wait. In, in, yeah. Enjoy the wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, DJ, no you way. phrased it really well. Um, anticipation, that's a really good word for it. Yeah, that's a better word than excitement for what I was trying to say. Yeah, that no, they... I, I just remember in a, a recent talk, I, I, Domerato brings up like Rocky Horror Picture Show or whatever, it's talking about like anticipation or, you know, whatever is said there. But yeah, yeah, just like, you know, um, you know, you're going to get it or what, you know, and so there's that there's that confidence there. But but again, it's being able to be like, hey, this is cool. That's cool, too. You know what I mean? Like. You're not clinging to either. Like this present moment, whatever is making it up is going to arise and cease. Whatever is going to happen in the next one's going to arise and cease. Whatever content fills up this experience, whatever. You know, it's cool either way, baby. Like that's really it. Like right. And there and know? there is no better. And there is no yeah. worse. There is yeah. no better or worse. It's just yep. what it is. Yeah. It's what it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another way you can think about it, um, <clears throat> practicing the jhana or practicing entering a wholesome state. Um, DJ raises a lot of point, good points there. Um, is that, so let's say you're practicing um, dancing or something. You're not practicing, like in the practice of the dance, you're not practicing about, you're not thinking about how good of a dancer you're going to be in in a couple weeks or in 20 minutes of practicing you're thinking about what you're doing and you're yeah. thinking about am i dancing good right now so that's the practice that's the practice uh that works is what's going on right now and what what am i doing am, am i enjoying this okay let me enjoy this <laughs> i'm not enjoying this again okay let me let me let me see if I could do this again. Let me see if I could come into a satisfaction. So that's the practice. Um, the practice is never um, how, how you're going to practice or how the practice is going to work. It's thinking about what am I doing it right now? That's the only place it's, ha it's going to happen. And uh, then, then it may be 20, 20 minutes of that practice. You may be in jhana before you know it, but you're actually looking at what you're doing, yeah. like when it's happening.
Yeah, no, it can just be, woohoo, I get to sit on the floor or whatever, you know? Just, <laughs> yeah. I can see you saying that out loud, TJ. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's There's part of the thought. ritual. There it is. Woohoo. Woo oh, I forgot woohoo. Let me back up and do it again. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, but yeah, I, I agree, Scott. It really is just. Yeah, paying attention to what's going on here and now and not putting on like the restrictions, the rules. I need to have, you know, this specific time frame before I can start the feel good. And it's like, no, when you recognize and if you don't do again, the comparison, right, you can, you know, do it rather quickly because a lot of the time is it's just rules, you know, that being said, sometimes it's like, um, you know, if you do kind of do a sitting practice and you're like, okay, we're going to relax the body and all that stuff. Sure, it might get, you know, uh, more relaxed, you could say, but you can enjoy it from the start of the sit to the end of the sit, you know, because, I mean, even that has to do with um, well, how you know, these you sensations. Yeah. Oh, sorry? How else are you going to relax? Yeah. Yeah, precisely. So uh -huh. it's not, Yeah about getting to some like oh i must get to this you know peak to relax it's just enjoy the process as it comes from the moment you sit down to the moment you get up you know and, and it will sometimes fluctuate like sometimes you know you'll pop out of it but that even in itself can be a, a, a joyous experience when you wake up to it like that's the whole thing so right. even if your mind gets carried away even if there's a hindrance you know it's congratulations that's like wonderful because hey now we're learning to handle these hindrances as well which is a wonderful you know fruit and benefit of the practice they're like little candies when they come up you know like yeah. that's really it yeah so it's not like really i mean if you go and you are like oh man i had a terrible sit or you know whatever and it's like putting this whole label on it and it's like no you know it's not really how you have to you know view it yeah so um you're not going to relax you're not going to sit down and relax if you aren't don't start if you're not starting with enjoying sitting down to begin with mm -hmm. so if you're not getting into a comfortable position and you're not enjoying sitting down how do you expect your body to start to relax yeah. so you're not relaxing to start enjoying sitting down you're enjoying sitting you start with enjoying sitting down and then you relax into that and then you you wow you can relax even more even more and wow now things are really kicking and now <laughs> now things are, now it feels like you can barely move because how relaxed you are and like even moving even moving your your fingers too much effort because of how much you're enjoying just sitting completely still and your body completely relaxes and uh then you then uh, the sensations of the body uh, uh, can be seen to be a lot more fluid and a lot more uh, borderless. So you can see the borderlessness of the body, and uh, you can t kind of like um, you can kind of like melt into that, like become like really gooey, really ooey and gooey, like really. Uh, <laughs> Um, ah, really, uh, it's like getting into a hot tub, really. It's like, and the breath is all part of that. So take, so enjoying the breath, 
it just adds to it. So this is a skill. This is a skill of relaxing your body and enjoying your breath. And uh, if you're if you're really not enjoying it and craving aversion is arises, then oh, how do what's the right effort to take to relax that relax that craving? A craving, a hindrance arises. A, ooh, I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, just adjust your position a little bit. Maybe get into a more comfortable position, and now you can relax. Or a thought comes up um, that's causing a disturbance. Oh, you take the effort. You see that thought. You're like, oh, about that right now. I got nothing to do. I don't have to, that. That's an unnecessary thought. So that's the same thing. So that type of mental relaxation and that mental right effort is this it's literally the same as like adjusting your position into a more comfortable state so we're adjusting our bodily position into a more comfortable state as well as our mental as well as our, our mental formations in a more comfortable state yeah best thing you said today scott <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> ooey gooey <laughs> like three pages of dialogue ooey gooey <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind of you kind of have to get creative how you talk about these things because it's an experience. That's right. That's right. And, mm -hmm. it, and, it, and it confounds categories. It confounds language, like Eric yeah. was saying. It go, it's really hard to describe these experiences using this um, faulty system of categorization. Right. Yeah. Man. All right. Well, I think that's a good point for me to uh, end this on. Um, yeah. It's wonderful seeing everyone in the Sangha. Um, good talking with you guys. I think some good, some good dialogue really came up, some really fruitful dialogue. Thanks for your question, Robert. Um, that's, a lot, that's a good point about excitement. And like, that's, a, that's one of those things where it's like a, it's a kind of like a tightrope of where it could mm. be wholesome or it could be unwholesome of like being excited or enthusiastic about the future. Yeah, thanks for the answers, everyone. Really helpful. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. And uh, thanks. to anyone watching on YouTube, uh, these Sangha calls go on every Wednesday. Um, the link will be down in the description to join the Skype. Um, please like and subscribe. Okay. Uh, <laughs> spread the Dhamma. Um, this is all free. This is all like nonprofit. So this is just for the sake of, and actually, you know, it's the real deal. It's not for um, some kind of business. So that's the coolest part about it. All right, guys, I'm gonna head out. See you. See you, Scott. <laughs> See you. Thanks, everyone.